Welcome to Manufacturing Tomorrow, focusing on advanced manufacturing innovations, solutions, and partnerships that exist in our region now and in the future. Hello there, you're listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Katherine Kelly, your host for this segment. Today we are speaking with Dr. Glenn Dane, Marge G. Fontana Professor of Metallurgical Engineering at Ohio State and the Ohio Manufacturing Institute Executive Director. He's also Director of the Honda OSU Partnerships Program. As Founding Director of OMI, Glenn developed the initial mechanisms to promote and improve engineering services engagements between Ohio manufacturers and the university. He currently has leadership roles in several Ohio State manufacturing initiatives and programs related to manufacturing technology development, including serving as technology liaison. Uh, we'll get a little bit into that in just a moment. Uh, Glenn, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Catherine. I do have to note that Glenn is associated with Ohio Manufacturing Institute, and I am as well, so I, I know this guy. What can manufacturers do to stay globally competitive? Well, that's a great question, and this is really the one that got me involved with all of this from, from the get-go. Um, really, I think the world has changed in a way that's, that's pretty significant and, and, and subtle in the last 20 years, and we're just catching up to what it really all means. Um, 20 years ago, it really used to be that the companies would all compete, and those with the best products and the best design and the best workforce would win. And now what's happened is all the companies that make anything of significance, be they airplanes or cars or electronics, they're all multinational. They all have global resources, global reach, and regions compete to have the work done within those with, with, within their boundaries. And those regions might be states, they might be local regions, it might be clusters of states, and it might be countries. And this is a big deal. And things like NAFTA make this particularly interesting, whereas work can go down in Mexico and it's all North American work. And, and it's, it's basically good for us, but it has a risk of hollowing out what we do here. And uh, as you look at this, you've got to look at the international models. And Germany's kind of an interesting example. They have really good environmental, environmental laws. Labor is done well. And the way they win is they've got a great workforce, they invest in R&D, um, and they do a lot of the little things right. And it takes time to do that, but it, it pays dividends, and, and Germany has a greater trade surplus than even China, I believe. It's a, it's a big success. Meanwhile, in manufactured high-tech goods, we're still in the red. We're still importing more than we export. There's really no reason for that. We should, we're, I think it's because our policies aren't as evolved. So that, that's kind of what, what's got me into this. So, so the elements you really need are you need a, a great workforce and you need uh, an infrastructure that really supports R&D. And that includes companies that work together, that, that, that develop interesting things. And, and you do that as a community. Silicon Valley's done this. Detroit did this in the past. Uh, Minneapolis does this in medical devices. And it's these clusters, these regions that, that, that win. And I think we have an opportunity to do something really great in, in the Ohio region here also. And that's really the big picture that, that motivates me every day to be part of this. Speaking of clusters, your research is in uh, electromagnetic and high-velocity metal forming. I think that led to your participation in LIFT. So could you talk a little bit more about that, uh, that national program, and, and uh, especially as related to um, how it, it, uh, it really is involving the, uh, the manufacturing innovations and processes that are trending right now? Yeah, no, thanks. Two parts of that. So, so LIFT is one of the national networks of manufacturing innovation. That was set up by... Uh, Ohio State and strong partnership 
uh, with EWI, great uh, global force in materials joining and manufacturing, and University of Michigan, another great manufacturing institution, and Alan Taub and Larry Brown are doing a great job bringing that together. And this is, again, one of these things that I think is an American model of how we become globally competitive. Uh, there's ways for small companies and large companies to be, become involved with Lyft. And I became involved with this for the technology that, that I do. And it, within the confines of this podcast, it's really inappropriate to get into that. But I will note we've got a nice little website at uh, IML, stands for Impulse Manufacturing Lab, iml.osu.edu. And there's more detail than anyone would like uh, there. But we have innovative technology there that can reduce uh, the lead time and capital expenditure with respect to joining and cutting and forming metal. And that's a theme that's part of Lyft, that's part of trying to reduce capital expenditure and make better products. That's, that's part, of, part of Lyft. That's one of several themes. Uh, corrosions and coatings is another theme. Joining is a theme. Casting is a theme. Thermodynamic uh, or uh, thermomechanical processing is a theme. And uh, I'm sure I'm missing one or two. And these themes are all binned as pillars, and we have projects going on. And these projects are all bigger than uh, a, a single research group can do on their own. And we've got uh, you know, big Fortune 50 companies involved, small companies bringing technology in. And it's a great American model of how we can do things to make our region, our region more competitive and play both with the multinational companies and the regional companies that are part of this. And then another big part of this that's really important is having a workforce that's, that's engaged. And manufacturing has a negative connotation, um, and this has been part of a theme on these podcasts before. And it isn't what it looked like before. It's really smarts and things like first robotics and materials and all of that lead into uh, the educated kid who goes into manufacturing. There's great jobs there. It's important for the region, satisfying work, and it's good stuff all the way around. It's stuff that I'm really uh, feel privileged to be part of. Going back to the technology and, and what Lyft is doing, I mean, I know that there's a, a you know, it, it definitely in terms of light weighting, you know, mo moving more towards uh, energy efficiency and then also the CAFE standards, it seems as if some of the manufacturers would have a vested interest in this. Yeah, yeah, the, the manufacturers do. Uh, one of the, again, policy is, is pushing this and policy is pushed by, by re reality. Um, you know, CO2 levels are going up. We're worried about greenhouse gas. We're worried about being more, more efficient. And about uh, a third of the energy we use is in transportation products. And if we can make planes, trucks, and uh, trains, trucks, boats, cars all more efficient, we save energy the way you make it more efficient. Partly is in powertrains by going to things like electric, electric, but you always have to reduce the weight in it. And that's what this center is all about. So you reduce weight by using thinner sections of higher strength materials, and you also do that by uh, using multi-material structures where you're using the right material in the right place, and that brings up all kinds of challenges in how do you join it, is corrosion okay, uh, how do you manufacture it, can you do this on an existing production line? And those are the kinds of things that, that Lyft is, uh, is, is working on, and we have programs here at Ohio State that, that, that's working on those also. And each of our companies have products that come out of this that are going to be more competitive, and, that, and that's, that's good. That's a win. We'll have a workforce in the region that makes companies want to build these products here. And then in the end, uh, the processes and the, and the products themselves all use less energy. So that's a win for the consumer. So this is stuff that is really good in all kinds of ways. And, um, again, it's, it's really exciting to be part of it.
Yeah, planes, trains, and automobiles. You got it. So, <laughs> in fact, I, I was thinking of a specific example: um, the Ford F one fifty, the all aluminum. You know, they got a lot of. Uh, attention last year and uh, I was surprised to hear that uh, even though they shaved 700 pounds off of the vehicle that if they had been able to find a way to make the seats lighter it would have shaved another 200 pounds. That's probably true yeah there's there's still still fat to be sh- shaved and even uh, great groundbreaking products like the F-150. I don't know if seats are that far overweight but the, I know that uh, I know, know that there's there's still everybody working on, on reducing weight. Uh, again that, that saves energy gives you more payload capacity and, you know, for military vehicles, which is also part of what we're interested in, it gives you more tactical capacity when you reduce weight. You can put more stuff on it, more troops and all of that. You can you can protect against blast better, be more maneuverable. Yeah, th- these are great products. And the F-150 also is a, is a great example of product innovation. I mean, the, the, the if to go from steel to aluminum um, is, is kind of an obvious thing. But it's really, really hard to do that in practice. Aluminum doesn't form the same way, doesn't cut the same way, doesn't take paint the same way, and, and joining in particular is a, is a problem. Whereas uh, vehicles of old, uh, still the ones we use, typically sheet metal that's stamped and spot welded. We know how to do that very well. There's a lot of invested capacity to do that. Vehicles of the future will have it might have polymer sheets that are formed a different way, joined a different way. There's all kinds of recapitalization retraining, all of that, and that actually makes a great opportunity for a region that is, uh, that, that, that's poised to take advantage of this. Everything is going to change, and the plants, the jobs, the, the economic development that goes with all of that is going to the place that, that can provide a holistic solution. How do you, how do you make the next generation vehicle? And uh, I think Central Ohio is in a, in a really good place to do that. Um, you know, there's this great automotive segment that kind of runs kind of north and south between uh, sort of Cincinnati into Canada and, and east and west between Chicago and Cleveland. Ohio, Ohio State isn't far from it, and our great partner Honda is just, you know, about 40-minute drive from here. And they uh, do outstanding engineering, develop North American products from the ground up, products like Acuras from the ground up right here. And I think that's something that very few people really, really recognize. Well, it seems like no material is out of bounds. So I, you know, I, I know that uh, last year during OSU Materials Week, when Alan Taub was speaking, he he was going back through the history of vehicle uh, materials and included wood in there. As uh, you know, I, I completely didn't even think about that. Yep. That was where we started. So yeah, some things are kind of out of. I don't see us going back to <laughs> bricks and rocks and concrete on cars, but but uh, boy, the menu of things is uh, is is growing. The number of functions we're trying to get out of a given part is also going up. It's it's aesthetic, it's safety, it's uh, have kind of a sensing function. Really interesting things are going on. From your perspective, what do you see as uh, manufacturers' most pressing technical resource needs right now? We academics tend to think about the the, the physics-like problem that needs to be solved, but the thing that you really hear it's all about workforce. It's really about having the right people with the right skills to to do things. And, um, you know, we in the research universities, I think, uh, have a role to play. There haven't been playing enough of a role there. What is the role? Um, I think two, two parts to the role. I, I think one is, is showing young people that there are great careers in these areas and, and getting them excited in this and showing where the future is. I think there's a lot of the future in this area. So we're doing a lot of work with high schools. We're doing a lot of work and trying to do. We are doing a lot of work in professional development for high school teachers to show them uh, that, that, that 
what the opportunities are, what the basics are. They can go and, and, and show their students. Um, the other role for research universities, I think, is also figuring out what curricula of the future should be and training the trainers. So, you know, here at Ohio State, um, we teach welding engineering, and these are people that develop welding processes. It's a real engineering discipline that's based on physics. But for every, you know, always uh, the rule of thumb on this, if you have one PhD researcher, there's usually 10 engineers that are implementing these ideas. And for each of these 10 engineers, there's probably you know, another 10 or more people that should actually be out doing things. And, and um, you know, I, I worry sometimes that uh, we have this idea of college for all and uh, we, we forget about this, this base of people who are actually should be out doing things that require high skills and all of that. And uh, we, we, in, in, um, we, we as thought leaders here, I think, should be cognizant of, of, of the roles of, of all, all, all phases of that, not just, not just the, uh, the advanced research. But there's a lot of great jobs, great careers to be had in, in making things. And these are satisfying, useful careers that society can value, should value. It seems like the emphasis and the need is on collaboration. That uh, that is something that I've I've heard you mention a number of times and espouse. So uh, that the collaboration among the various organizations involved and in, and the especially the academic organizations. Right. There's a lot of redundancy and waste sometimes when you go through the systems. And uh, at the same time, we have to up the capacity. So I think we have uh, the resources are here, but I think. Sometimes, sometimes it's difficult to develop long-term leadership, you know, particularly in the political environment where politicians change every few years and university administrators shift and all this. It's hard to maintain these kinds of long-term visions that, that, that make this happen. And this is where, again, we got to be cognizant about being globally competitive. Um, you look at China, they forecast you know, years at a time. They've got a very stable uh, system. I wouldn't want to be part of it, but it's very stable. Um, you know, and in, in Germany, uh, another, I think, great benchmark, they have this long heritage in manufacturing where this is something that they, uh, they, they value and it's part of their core, and, and that keeps, keeps them focused on these long-term issues. I think uh, roles of universities should be to kind of keep our eye on the ball and doing things that are important and valuable for society over the long term, not just solving research problems. And, uh, and I, I, think, I think our leadership is uh, actually waking up to this and has, for the past few years, been doing a great job of it. Uh, you know, Dave Williams has been steadfast behind everything we're doing in manufacturing, and uh, that, that's, that's been the dean great. of the, the, college, dean of of the college of Engineering. And our vice president for research, Carol Whitaker, is also involved. And it's, it's great, great to see those kinds of things. I'm very, very grateful to be working for leaders that, that think this way. And I, I definitely think there's a need uh, out in manufacturing. I mean, I've, I've heard from uh, heard from one uh, a couple weeks ago and said that he went to a uh, a, a really good uh, session, uh, you know, that involved a technical topic, and that he wished that uh, that the universities in the state of Ohio would would band together and, and collaborate, you know, and do and make something that's sustainable in regards to you know do, offering those types of workshops and sessions. Yeah, yeah it, it's a matter of. Uh you know, setting uh, an environment of collaboration. I think you know, leading leading by example. Uh, you know, everybody everybody's also at the same time trying to make sure that their budgets are solvent. They're competing for the work. They're trying to get 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 things. But I think we all have to you know look at the bigger picture and uh, recognize there's more to be gained by collaboration sometimes than competition. And and there there will be 
there, there, there's, there's more to be had by growing the pie than worrying about the slices of the pie. So uh, we're, we're hoping to lead by example in those areas and, uh, and, and bring people together and, and do it mostly for greater good. But you know, all, like all of us, we've got a balance of books too. So you were talking about uh, the way things have, have changed in terms of uh, the leadership paying more attention to manufacturing. Did you want to talk a little bit more about uh, specifics? Or I mean, how do you see th- um, the environment or the culture changing at Ohio State in the last five or even 10 years? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think we in academics always have had two things that we, we value at the, at the same time to different degrees. One is kind of the land-grant mission, which has really been all about trying to train the workforce and, and, and come up with a group of people that know how to do things and make things, and, and that's the, the bedrock of our economy. And, and sometimes there, there aren't really interesting academic problems in it, but I think if you, if you keep digging, there usually are really interesting academic problems beneath these things. They may not be obvious at first. The other approach, I think, since uh, the success of the Manhattan Project and so forth, there's been a lot of uh, we engineers that aspire to be uh, physics-type researchers that are trying to do the most fundamental work we can and come up with high-impact papers that are noticed by other academics. And that work is good, it's useful, and sometimes it tends to overshadow the other the other parts of, of the work. Um, and I think this is something we I've seen a struggle with in academic institutions for a long time. And, um, you know, a, again, kudos to the leadership that I work with. I think they see both parts as, as important, and I think they also see that it's become a little bit out of balance in the past where we've been too heavy on just doing things that are fundamental, just end up in, in high-class journals. And now I see a nice balance coming back where we recognize we've got to work with the broader economy, We've got to be part of that, and um, you know, again, it's a, a, a privilege and pleasure to be be part of uh, these these big initiatives, and uh, make it a little bit more applied, and make it a little more applied. That goes that that goes with it. I mean, training training people. I mean, again, it's what what's the role of, of we in the research universities to do that? You know, we still we we, we don't uh, right now in in engineering. Uh, we're thank God we're our. our our student numbers are way up. There's a lot of interest in, in, in engineering. The quality is up. The quantity is up. And applied training takes a lot of time, and we're struggling with dealing with the, the, the students we have. But again, we're, we're looking for ways of developing partnerships with the community colleges, career centers, and, and other institutions uh, to find ways where we might even send some of our students off to learn machining skills and so forth at uh, the, the, the Ohio Technical Centers or community colleges. And, that, and that's really important. And this is, again, one of these skills employers really wish our students had. They wish they had spent some time knowing how to machine materials, knowing how to do tolerances hands-on, and so forth. And we want to we want to find ways of providing that, but uh, that, that's a, a bit of a struggle point, and I think that's a place that uh, collaboration uh, has, has a big part of the answer, and that's something that we're worrying about and trying to figure out. So that leads into my next question. So what, if you had to pick one thing that universities could do, um, what could we do more to, to support manufacturers? Uh, pick one thing. You know, I, I, at, at the highest level, I, it really is about trying to develop kind of a thought leadership, you know, servant leader mentality here where that uh, we can lead by example, and I think we're in a, the right place to do this and, and bring together 
the, the great assets that we have. We've got a great workforce. We've got a great community college system. We have uh, manufacturing is something that's uh, in our blood. It's in the water in this area. And um, nobody's really managing. Columbus 2020 is focused on a lot of good things, but not exactly on this. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are doing things around, around this. Um, Ohio Manufacturing, Ohio Manufacturers Association, Eric Berkland's Association is doing great things, but they're not too focused on the technical side. It's mostly uh, policy workforce issues, and um, we, I, I'd like to see us lead in this area, and I think that's one of the most important things we can do, but it's also not quite part of our traditional mission, but again, thankfully for you know some of the more enlightened things we're, we're doing at high levels of the university here that's I think we're seeing that it's more and more part of our mission. So the one thing we ask every guest that is a non-negotiable question is, uh, is what would uh, surprise us about Ohio State in regard to manufacturing? Okay, I think the, the thing is we really are a manufacturing powerhouse. We, we often, uh, when you see these national commissions that come out, I think there's places like MIT and uh, Michigan, Purdue, Georgia Tech are often uh, brought out as, as the manufacturing powers, and we really are, are very, very, very strong in this area. If you look at international conferences on manufacturing and things like metal forming, Ohio State is dead center uh, among the, the best institutions, castings the same way. We've got great people. We've been hiring well. Um, you know, example, we've, you know, Alan Lowe is a guy we brought in with uh, great academic credentials. He also spent the last 15 years at GM on high-value high uh projects there, working on lightweight and Cadillacs and so forth. We're hiring other great people in this area. I'm aware of several negotiations going on now that I won't talk about, but we've got great people. We have more great people coming on. The, we're, we're on a, uh, we're, we're very, very strong already and only going to get stronger. And um, I think we belong in the top tier today and we're going to be undeniably there in a, in a few years. So that, that's to me, I think maybe the surprise. Well, thank you, Glenn, for coming on the show. It's about my, time. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right.